This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. off one of the emails to uh, get us ready for uh, this week's edition of the show before the show podcast with a quote um, from me evidently back in uh, March April in which I said quote being wrong is the name of the game and as we welcome you into our uh, preseason picks review episode that could not be a more accurate quote that's the I, best when you possible said it, quote. it just it I'm, screamed out to me and I'm like I need to get this and I need to have happy. it tattooed on me somewhere <laughs> Very happy to have said that because it was tremendously 100% apt and accurate. And uh, with that, we can tell you for a little while how wrong we were about things in the 2019 season of minor league baseball. So we welcome you into this week's episode of the show before the show. My name is Tyler Vaughn, Sam Dykstra, and Kelsey Hennigan are in New York City. Hello, you two. Hello. Hello. And Josh Jackson is in Los Angeles, I think, right? That's correct. Uh, Yes, I am. Okay. We, you're you're out you're out traveling for a little bit um then you know i just i'd really just try to keep tabs on where your dog is so that's you know understandable sure. obviously yeah but hey, don't blame you at all welcome in everybody so if you uh have joined us for for a while now um we are in what is this season five with this podcast 15 16 season five of this podcast um we have done our uh preseason picks over the last few seasons the four of us have gotten together and we have uh done our our picks for the most exciting lineup and rotation and team in minor league baseball as well as breakout prospects our projections for um rookies of the year in the american and national league uh our prediction for the joe bauman home run award winner and our prediction on who the top overall prospect in 2020 will be according to mlb pipeline uh generally we go into a season and we say these things and uh they are wrong and we hope no one calls us on it but then we uh we do everybody a favor by just calling ourselves out on it by the end of the year uh, because it's it's fun to go back and look at the way things change over the course of a minor league season so we have all of those categories to get to how excited for are you guys all to uh to remember how wrong you were because i looking back at my picks i'm like what what was i doing <laughs> this is my job is that right uh you know i i think we just need to provide context that's yeah. why we do this is to if you were just to look at the email i sent and look be like why did so and so choose this team um and it would look bad if we just did it that way so it's so much better that we get to discuss why we were wrong and what what happened in between uh, as kind of ways of remembering 2019 well, yeah, you like can't it. predict injuries and promotions and right. promotions that don't happen. So a lot can go wrong for us. That is true. Yeah, and, I, uh, and yeah generally it does. I just live in a constant state of just explaining why um, I'm not the idiot. It looks like I was based on the results of the thing that I assumed would happen. Josh is walking down the street in L.A. and people are like, that Josh Jackson character. What? Could you believe his pick for breakout prospect? What a moron. <laughs> 
no is that not that's not actually how it all right well no uh, <laughs> you know other things but well, let's get into it. Let's uh, let's kick things off. And thanks for tuning into the show before the show, wherever you found us. Uh, we're at milb.com slash podcast, and we are everywhere else you get your shows. You can give us a rating and a review and a subscription and get in touch with the show if you would like. Podcast at milb.com. And uh, let's kick it off. Most exciting lineup heading into... 2019 the way we're going to do this we are going to um, roll out who we all chose before the season uh if somebody feels like they have a point to make uh on why they chose something and and what uh in retrospect now maybe stands out most about that uh the floor will be open and then we'll kind of break down where we think uh that conversation would land after the conclusion of this 2019 season so let's open it up with the most exciting lineup in minor league baseball sam took the double a tulsa drillers uh kelsey took the now triple a san antonio missions can't say now triple a anymore i guess they got a full season in triple a under their belts uh josh went with the triple a salt lake bees i went with the triple a buffalo bisons who's up i mean i i think in retrospect me being the only person who didn't take a triple a team looks bad um and this is going to be something we're going to revisit here later with our bowman home run picks but um you know the way that triple a ball just took over in 2019 ah, I uh, see what you're saying. yeah just the offense it, if you're gonna look if you're looking for offense you were looking to triple a this year um but me picking tulsa i will say it's aged fairly well i mean the, any team that had gavin lux on it this year was an exciting team to follow gabriel ruiz wasn't quite the performer we thought he could be um, but that team finished with Jeter Downs, who was really good down the stretch and really good in the playoffs as well. Uh, that team made the Texas League finals, was very close. It was a t- Taylor Trammell grand slam basically away from win- winning the Texas League finals. So in terms of pure excitement, um, there was some excitement behind that Tulsa team that we, we basically expected. Um, but I think so much of this year was driven by AAA uh, that you know, it, it won't age well to talk about offense – in any other but a triple a context i think this year and that's fair the the triple a ball i think kind of blew everybody away we did not expect quite the uh the insane season offensively that i think we got um which you know the the rest of us look like geniuses i think in retrospect because of something that we really did not know was going to be the case but picking triple a teams uh seems like it worked out pretty well i uh buffalo is kind of a perfect example of the things we can't predict i mean vlad ended up being uh hampered at the beginning of the season didn't spend a whole lot of time there um boba you know we finally saw graduate to the major league level as well this season so it wasn't all of those factors coming together at the exact same time the way it had been in new hampshire the season before um but really I think of all of those picks, those all hold up fairly well. Um, you know, San Antonio had Keston Hero for a little while, uh, who has gone up and, and made obviously a huge impact uh, in the latter part of the season with the Brewers. Uh, Salt Lake had some intriguing pieces, as, as Josh pointed out at the beginning of the season. So I really feel like lineups we did okay with. Yeah, no, I, I, got, I didn't we, Go ahead, Josh. We've got to talk about El Paso now, right? Yeah, true. Yeah. Now I mean, we that, transition to who actually did well. Yeah, I mean, not again. The the triple A ball is obviously a, a factor there. Um, Two hundred and fifty eight home runs for for that team, um, but you know they Ty France flirting with four hundred until he ended up at three ninety nine, just just you know because of a, a big league call up when the Padres ended up needed it, needing him. Um, Michael Getty's at thirty one home runs for them. Um, 
yeah, I mean, they had Naylor there for four games hitting really well. And, yeah, it's just all really – Adderlin Rodriguez, um, 321 average. Just uh, all around that lineup, up and down that lineup at any part of the season, uh, everybody there was hitting. And they were, they were hitting home runs. They were hitting, for, you know, for base hits. Um, so if we if, – if we're to say the most interesting lineup now, I think at least I've got to say – of the 2019 season, it has to be El Paso. Yeah, and they actually sent out a tweet today celebrating the fact that they basically won the minor league triple crown. This is not something we usually follow or, or really care point. about. Yeah, and it you know for anybody who listened to this podcast who followed MILB.com during the season, it shouldn't be a huge surprise. But the El Paso Chihuahuas let all of minor league baseball and team average at 299 home runs is. Uh, Josh mentioned at 258. That's a modern era PCL record. Uh, and RBIs, they had 926, which tied them with Las Vegas. Las Vegas, a team we could certainly put in the top five of this category uh, when we're talking about best lineups of 2019. Um, but not only that, they also led all of minor league baseball with 968 runs, 2,656 total bases, and 1,496 hits collectively as a team. A lot of this has to do with El Paso. It was a pretty good hitter's park. Same thing with Salt Lake, same thing with Las Vegas. Um, so not only are they taking advantage of a good ball, they are also taking advantage of a good park. Still, you know, everybody, Josh mentioned, and I'll throw in Luis Arias there as well. Um, Austin Allen was a, was a pretty good performer for them in terms of Padres prospects. Uh, this was not just a, hey, quad A team, we're going to throw out a couple guys and see how it works. There were legit prospects who came through El Paso this year uh, at a time where San Diego feels like it's on the cusp of something. A lot of those guys on the cusp made it their way to the Chihuahuas. Some of them graduated. Uh, most of them did, I would say, to at least get a taste of, of San Diego as it's trying to determine what exactly what its future is going to be so is that kind of perfect mix of yes they put up the most gaudy numbers in in minor in the minors this year um, but also the names there were intriguing enough to make us watch night in and night out rotation uh an interesting uh group of teams in which uh, i'm gonna try to make my pick look less terrible than it was um the <laughs> atlanta braves were uh chosen by three of our four panelists uh sam took uh mississippi at the double a level kelsey and josh both picked uh triple a gwinnett i took class a Asheville in the uh colorado organization which uh did not age well um uh, i'm gonna just point out i was doing it as a most intriguing pick they had uh three first rounders on that roster including two guys who uh really struggled with injuries and ineffectiveness and they uh very much continued to do so uh riley pint this year terrible season 21 games 18 of those were relief appearances he put up an era of 8.66 mike nickerack a uh, guy who was coming back from tommy john surgery a little while back uh, a few seasons back now for his tommy john but very slow road back to being fully healthy 16 games for him a 9.69 era one guy was very good and that was ryan rollison who was a rockies first round pick in 2018 he only actually made three starts in Asheville, put up a 0.61 era before he was bumped up um but uh yeah probably wouldn't probably wouldn't make that pick again you guys uh take it away i mean yeah how can you say no to picking a braves pitching prospects which is what we all went with with mississippi and gwinnett um I mean, I think that Gwinnett's biggest problem was that, you know, Soroka got promoted. Kyle Wright wasn't who they expected him to be, be this season. Um, Tukey Toussaint also wasn't that great, but then he also got promoted to the Braves. 
And then Kobe Allard got traded to the Rangers. So it just wasn't there. And then in, in terms of Mississippi, um, you know, I, I don't exactly know what's happening with the Braves prospects this year in terms of graduating guys. I mean, they had to go out and get a Dallas Keuchel because Soroka really was the only guy to make that jump. Um, they're hopeful that Ian Anderson can be that uh, at some point, maybe next year. And, and Lord knows he was good at Mississippi this year with 2.68 ERA and 111 innings and striking out 147 over that span. But uh, in terms of where they are now, I don't think this system has the same shine as it once did. All those guys at Gwinnett and Bryce Wilson I'll throw in there as well, uh, you know, did struggle with the ball. If we're looking at their numbers, you know, right by his standards, a 4.17 ERA in, in 21 starts at Gwinnett isn't going to shake it. Overall, in the IL that this year, that was kind of good, um, but still not enough for him to you know knock off some of these other guys in the Braves rotation. There's a reason why you know we're starting the NLDS right now, and Kyle Wright isn't their Game Three starter when that was a hope in the spring. Um, so, you know, just to kind of keep an eye out with pitching prospects is as much as momentum as we think they have. We saw this with somebody like Ford Willie. A couple things ha- go wrong and a year can get away from you pretty quick. Um, you know, it's still some intrigue here. The Braves are still a really good system. But in terms of pitching depth, it, it's not as quite there as it maybe once was. Allard getting traded away. Joey Wentz, who was at Double uh, A Mississippi as well, he got traded to the Tigers. They've dipped into that depth they had at this position uh to help out the major league club tell um, me who would you guys uh who would you guys say now i would say eerie oh it has to be eerie okay good yeah, yeah this, uh, this you, is funny we're talking about top pitching prospects first you say braves but then we can't forget all these tigers and apparently right. we were not prepared for just how good they were going to be everybody blows up on here what about lake elsinore Lake Elsinore and Mackenzie Gore put up a 1.02 in 15 starts. Hey, Luis Patino put up a 2.69 in 18 games there, 17 starts. That team's got some claim. Oh, no, it definitely yeah. does. <laughs> Nobody's. No doubt, yeah. yeah. How dare all of you is what I'm saying. But yeah. Erie has like five of those guys. Yeah, yeah it was like in, in July, it was like Mize, Manny, Rayado, and, and Scooble. Like, it, right. They were all incredible. Right. It was like, there, yeah, there was a stretch this summer where it was like, oh, Erie is throwing another shutout with 47 strikeouts. They did have like 19 no hitters. It feels like this year. I don't. I don't think yeah. it's the actual number, <laughs> but it did feel like every 19, other day yeah. we were like, oh, another Erie no hitter watch. <laughs> no way. Um, yeah, the uh, the Erie will certainly um, quite a a bright spot for Tigers fans in a, a tough season um, for uh, for that fan base. The weird thing is though, they didn't lead the Eastern League in uh, ERA because obviously it's not just about all these fancy starters. It's also about the bullpen. Uh, and so Bowie won because they have Bauman and Lothar, who obviously have very low ERAs. Um, so yeah. there was some really interesting pitching town in the Eastern League this year. Um, and uh, that carries us to the uh, the best team, the most exciting team coming into 2019, in which I feel like our picks aged pretty well. Uh, Sam took the AAA Round Rock Express. Uh, Kelsey and Josh both named the Tulsa Drillers, the AA affiliate of the uh, Los Angeles Dodgers, who had a fantastic year, made it all the way to Game 5 of the Texas League Finals. Uh, and I took the Las Vegas Aviators uh, in the uh, the Oakland Athletic System, who um, opened a new ballpark and uh, you know have brought Finn the bat dog into our lives um best team in 2019 
uh, you know, I, I might have a preference amongst these three in, in saying it's probably Tulsa in the picks that we had, but yeah. Tulsa and Vegas are, are really close there. Uh, Vegas, as you mentioned, Ty, there, there's the intrigue of that new park. And as we talked about with Ben, it was probably the most successful opening of a stadium we've seen and the way they were able to draw in, fran- in fans and that partnership with the A's meant Hazel Suzardo came through there, AJ Puck came through there, Sean Murphy came through there. These are all guys who are playing or at least on the roster for the A's in the wild card game. Yeah. Um, Seth Brown, yeah, not necessarily a prospect, but one of the most productive mm-hmm. minor league hitters this year in terms of power. Uh, Tulsa, for all the reasons we mentioned, and also right. Dustin May, Dustin May adding in Josiah Gray um, at points. Again, Jeter Downs, Gavin Lux graduated. Mitchell White there. Eventually. Who's that, Josh? Mitchell White, he moved through pretty quick, but uh, yeah. really solid while he was there. Right. The Tulsa was a bit of a launching pad, I feel like, this year yeah. for a Dodger yeah. system that just launches prospects left Every and right. Year. Yeah. Every year. There are guys popping up, and they would either start in Tulsa or end in Tulsa. Um, so that was really interesting. Round Rock, I think the most interesting thing that happened to Round Rock was Jordan Alvarez, um, and he was gone by the All-Star break. Uh, but that lineup in the first half was incredibly good it lived up to expectations it's unfortunate that Forrest Whitley wasn't who we thought he could be and injuries might have played a role in that the new ball may have played a role in that so many things could have happened um but that round rock team was still interesting Kyle Tucker turned things around after a really rough start ends up with a 30-30 year Jordan Alvarez becomes you know Air Jordan Jordan in the spring before he leaps onto the scene in Houston um, so yeah, th- like you said, Tyler, I don't think this aged poorly at all for our picks here. Yeah, pretty uh, pretty decent group among. Uh, you know, there are a lot of those teams. I think that going into a season, you can pick based on potential. But um, these had a lot of really interesting storylines, and it's cool that there are so many guys who came from these teams who we are now seeing making um, postseason appearances and uh, an impact on playoff races toward the end of the, re- the year uh, in 2019. So I think we should actually also bring up who our actual picks are for the year. Um, So, Kelsey, who did you have? Uh, So I had San Antonio because, you know, we keep talking about these AAA balls, so I wanted to see who handled them uh, to the best pitching-wise. And that was San Antonio. They had the lowest ERA in the PCL. I mean, obviously, the stadium has a lot to do with that. Um, But, yeah, they had Zach Brown and Trey Shupak, but they also had some 29-year-olds, Birch Smith and... Aaron Wilkerson, who are doing really well. And then Jay Jackson had a 133-year-A in the bullpen. He he made it to the wild card roster. Um, so they had some pretty exciting guys and also some not-so-exciting guys, but they still did really well, and they were able to keep the ball in the yard while also having guys like Kesson and Trent Grisham and Tyrone Taylor and Travis Shaw and Corey Spanberg um, doing well in the minors. And they were able to help with that playoff push for the Brewers. Josh, who did you have for uh, most interesting? Yeah, I, I was pretty satisfied with the with the Tulsa pick, so I didn't really uh, I didn't really go back and revise. That's fine. Know. Just say you're right. Just say you're right and leave it at that. <laughs> um, so I, I actually I went. I know we talked about like how Triple A's where a lot of the intrigue was this year, but I went the other direction with the Delmarva Shorebirds. Um, so much of this year for the Orioles is the beginning of a project and, and seeing where they can take things. And, and now under a new GM group and, and a new front office, um, you know, what happens when they start to make this Orioles team and kind of the image of a new organization. 
And we started to see the fruits of that labor here at Delmarva. And not just like in theory, this is what could happen. The team went 90 and 48. Their 652 winning percentage was the best in minor league baseball. Um, but it, it's not just about winning percentage. It's about the guys who were there. Grayson Rodriguez, their first round pick in 2018, was one of our breakout prospects of the year, became one of the best pitching prospects of the year, participated in the Futures game. Um, him getting a start every six days was really beneficial to them and really exciting. It felt like he was doing five innings, eight strikeouts, you know, once or twice a week. Uh, and then they add Adley Rushman, the number one overall pick this year, at the end of that, that season. Um, so him getting a taste of full season ball and seeing, you know, what it's like to to go up against more advanced pitching. Um, you know, the numbers weren't jumping off the page, but he's coming off a long spring as a catcher doing a lot of different deeds. Um, but still getting to see him ply his trade there made that team all the more exciting. But then you got other names like Adam Hall, Blaine Knight for five starts, Drew Rom, Gray Fenter might have actually been their best pitcher from a uh, statistical side. He's now, I think, their number 30 prospect in that Orioles system. If this rebuild is going to work, it's going to have to work its way up. And the Shorebirds being successful is a promising start. Now what happens when these guys get a little tougher? You know, what happens when Grayson Rodriguez faces more selective hitting? Uh, what happens when Adley Rushman has to work with a bigger staff and, you know, sees tougher pitching himself? Uh, we'll see how things go. But it's off to a very, very good start, at least the lower levels, uh, this Baltimore rebuild. I'm uh, I'm fine with that Vegas pick. I also want to throw out a, a mention for Double A Amarillo, which wins the Texas League in its debut season, and the amount of guys that went through there: Mackenzie Gore and Taylor Trammell, obviously with the the headlines that uh, Trammell generated in the the final game of the championship series with that grand slam to turn things around for his team. But Adrian Morahone went through there. Michelle Baez went through there. Owen Miller, Hudson Potts, all these dudes who at some point made a stop in Amarillo, and we've heard about the the Padres um, and this youth movement that they've got, and those guys are all so close now they're all either knocking on the door or in the case of guys like Morahone and Baez they've already made it to the big leagues um there's a lot to be excited about which we've said for years now with the San Diego system but it's all getting very very close there um the uh next category is always a tough one breakout prospect because there always seem to be guys who none of us thought of at all at the beginning of the season who end up as like top 15 prospects by the time the season ends so here were our picks uh Sam took Jordan Adams Kelsey took Mickey Moniak Josh had three picks what was this (laughs) <laughs> Josh had Victor Victor Mesa, Gabriel Harris, and Story Ruiz. What? Pick a lane, man. Maybe that's all. Maybe that's all one name. Victor Victor Mesa, <laughs> Ruiz. It's just um, one uh, one guy who has a, a lot of. He's got a lot of long checks to fill out. No, Arias and Ruiz were actually. It was like a joint. It was like a. It was like a breakout prospect pair pick. Okay. All right. So, so only two, but three people, <laughs> admittedly. Um, I took the young uh, Brazilian starting pitcher, Eric Pardino, who was uh, hurt for a little bit of the year, but still put together a, a pretty good season when he was healthy. He only made eight appearances between uh, the rookie level GCL and uh, Class A Lansing, but in those eight appearances, a 2.15 ERA. Um, you guys, take it away. Yeah, I think, like you said, Tyler, this is kind of difficult to predict because the whole point of a breakout is not seeing it coming. Yeah. Um, so trying to be like, oh, yeah, I totally see this coming is not the point of the category. We're still going to do it next year because it's fun. Yeah. But it's just something to kind of keep in mind. Uh, for Jordan Adams, I wouldn't say it was a bad year at all. I mean, the guy 
had very limited baseball experience. The reason I picked him was because he had tools for days. He's extremely fast, um, but he's learning how to hit. And even when he does that, he's he hit 250 this year with the 703 OPS at Class A Burlington. Showed off that speed with 12 steals and didn't have as many strikeouts as I think a lot of people were expecting. Uh, 94 and 97 games, for sure, it's on the higher end. But trying to learn that portion of the game and still making contact is good. It's a good base le- level for him. Where can he take things next? Maybe the breakout comes next year now that he's seen pitching a little bit more and is used to a baseball schedule. Um, but that that leap didn't happen this year. So I'm still on the train. I, it just I'm not the captain anymore. I guess. <laughs> OK, um, but Mickey Moniak. Yeah, Mickey Moniak. I don't know, man. Yeah, uh, I, I hope that all the scouts that thought he was such a high draft pick are eventually right. And he does break out at some point. He did start to hit uh, in the middle of summer in May and June. I think he started at one point. He got up to maybe like a 285 average. Um, but yeah, no, he just has not shown what they all expected him to show and what I expected him to show. And he spent most of the year at Reading, and when there was, I mean, you know, we like to divorce Park Effects a little bit, but there was a hope that he could put up better numbers in Reading, which is a yeah. notorious hitter's part. And he did not. not. To be fair, I mean, he is 21 um, and playing at the double-A level. Still put up a 741 OPS. It wasn't a a disastrous year, but I definitely see the the point. Yeah, it was a step up. It's not 1-1 that type of season where you kind of figure like, oh, this guy. I mean, it's been three years now since he was the first overall pick. At some point, he's going to blow up. We haven't seen that yet. That is is kind of the the thing that people are going to hang on him for now. Yeah, and others have said this other places, but if he was the seventh overall pick right, that year, right. we're not talking about him in this sense True. or really yeah. in terms of Italy and like, oh, well, he mm-hmm. really should have broken out by now. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, it is an expectations game, which is kind of unfortunate because baseball with the draft pool and the idea of let's sign somebody who we know we can get for this amount so we can spend more later uh, – Sometimes the one-one isn't the best talent in the draft. Yeah. It's, but the meeting he, talent he, most at the time, he was like number one with the bullet, wasn't he? No, there was a lot of debate that year. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay, my memory is. He, he definitely broke out to the point to put him on that stage. Um, yeah. But the year he, you know, there was a bunch of different names that could have gone. Okay. Uh, okay. I that, remembered wrong. Yeah. No. Uh, Hold on. I feel like they're escaping me now. But I'll Yeah, I know. I was just actually going to do the, the same thing and look up that first round. It was Nick Senzel who went the uh, with the second overall pick that year um, to the, the Reds. Ian Anderson went third to Atlanta. Riley Pint was in that conversation for a long time. He went fourth overall oh, yeah. uh, to Colorado. Corey Ray went fifth to the, to the Brewers. A.J. Puck was sixth to the A's. So there were, man, you look at the mix of guys in this top ten. Braxton Garrett was number seven to the Marlins. Then Cal Quantrill was eighth to the Padres. That's the crazy thing about baseball is you know you you look back three years later and the just wildly different outcomes that we've seen for guys even just in the top 10 picks of a draft three years ago i mean it is a it is the most inexact science of all the drafts yeah i mean think about brady aiken and mark capel right yeah yeah and also the number one prospect according to mlb pipeline that year going into the draft was jay groom and we haven't seen him we just saw him at the end of the year on a baseball field again as he's overcome so many different injuries and you know they talk about things that can change it's not just performance it's health-based stuff as well and 
yeah, that that draft, we're going to have to do a retrospective on that at some point because it is not aged great, I don't think. So the breakout prospect who stands out most now? I mean, Dylan Carlson. You know, he had the 914 OPS. He made it to AAA. He turns 21 in October, or later this month. I think actually game two of the World Series is his birthday, so maybe he'll be celebrating a Cardinals win. Um, but, yeah, I think it's pretty hard to argue with Dylan Carlson and uh, the power that he's posted and the average. Yeah, the thing about Carlson is... No, what were you going to say, Josh? I was going to say, I think Tariq Skubal is, uh, you know, to me, he kind of came out of nowhere. Um, I didn't know. I don't I still, I don't know if I'm saying his name correctly right now. Um, I didn't know his name at all at the beginning of the season. Yeah, same and here. And he, you know, blazes through the Florida State League. Well, I guess it took him a little longer than I remember. Okay, so he made 15 starts in the Florida State League. Then he gets to the Eastern League, and he pitches even better there. Um he strikes out 82 in 42 and a third innings. In yeah, that should not be possible. That's <laughs> a starting pitcher. Like, what? With he a struck 213 out ERA. 97 and 80 in a third in the Florida State League, and then 82 and 42 in a third in the Eastern League. That's unbelievable. Right. It's in, and he's not a guy who was on my radar coming into the year at all. So, in terms of, like, if we, the way I usually think of breakout is like, um, most sort of ground gained in terms of yeah how we conceive of players and for me I, this yeah he's, he's he would be my pick at this point for the 2019 season yeah i think i think that's what it comes down to is is almost a definition this is almost like an mvp type situation like how do you establish value versus how do you establish breakout okay. because at, in terms of highest climb Carlson moved up to number 24 right now in MLB pipelines rankings he was outside the top 100 at the beginning of the year uh Scoobal is now at 74 but what I was going to say about Carlson was he is a f- first round pick he was 33rd overall in 2016 what's right. happened since is that you know he hasn't quite put up the numbers he hasn't quite shown off the full breadth of skills that we now believe him to have he wasn't much of a power hitter before part of that is playing in the midwest league and last year he played all year in the fsl but he went from 11 homers last year to 26 this year uh and he also took a jump in terms of stolen bases he stole 20 bases this year only eight last year it's clear to see a breakout um he would be my pick i think just because it's very clear to see the jump forward uh, but Scooble, I, I would not argue about at all in terms of best breakout pitcher. The guy was a ninth-round pick last year. Every team had a che- chance to take him eight times over and, and passed over him yeah. Uh, yeah. coming out of Seattle. And you know, for the Tigers to take him, add him to that eerie mix that we discussed before, um, see him become a top 100 prospect at a time when they were kind of planning, hey, Manning will be in our rotation someday. Mize will definitely be in our rotation someday. If we get two-fifths of our rotation from Erie, that'll be good. Maybe Fado, uh, maybe somebody like Funkhauser or Burroughs, but those guys have more question marks. Now all of a sudden you move, move in Scuba, who's got three above-average pitches and is striking everybody out left and right and is left-handed, unlike all these other guys. Uh, there's so much more depth to this Tiger system now than even what we thought a couple months ago, and he's a big part of that. So if we wanted to, we could break it down, hitter and pitcher, I think, and, and sleep pretty well at night. I think what? I forget how Scooble wasn't, like, a big name before. Like, 
I don't know. I guess I was just like, oh, yeah, another Tigers dominant pitcher and a big lefty. Like, So I think I forgot that he did, you know, reach so many radars for the first time this year because um, he just felt like he's always been there. Yeah, I mean, once you start striking out 10 guys yeah. all the time and we're just following it, you're like, well, yeah, I've always known about Tarek School. Exactly. Um, I mean, that speaks to how long the season is, but also how quickly these guys can grab mm-hmm. our imaginations. One uh, who kind of goes against the grain of somebody who comes out of completely nowhere, but I think still necessitates a mention in this is Gavin Lux. Gavin Lux was the 70th ranked prospect in the top 100 coming into the season. He's number two now, and everywhere he went for the start of that AAA stay, uh, you know, ends up playing 49 games there. He OPS is 1197 in AAA. That was after he dominated AA, and we heard all season long, when is Gavin Lux going to get called up? When's he going to get called up? Um, he was obviously a dude coming into the season he was not the dude that he is right now to all of a sudden be the top rated uh you know national league prospect in the game I was gonna say the top rated shortstop but of course wander franco is the one guy who's in front of him on the top 100 <laughs> right now um but uh it's kind of weird to say that about gavin lux right now but i think that's a guy who has to have at least a mention in this conversation too and, and there's one other position player i want to throw out real quick is robel garcia um you want to talk about oh, a yeah. breakout yeah the guy made the major leagues this year after he had not played in affiliated baseball since 2013. He got signed out of Italy. You know, he kind of got discovered. He, he married an Italian woman. He spent three years playing over there. Uh, came over here to play with the Italian national team. Gets kind of discovered again in, in Italy. And right now he's the number 26 prospect for the Cubs. But um, he got major league time this year. I mean, when he played... In 2013, he was playing in short season ball and the Midwest League. You go over and play in Italy, which, Tyler, you were just there, but it's not a hotbed for baseball. It's not like people go over there and scout, hey, let's find where I can get my next double-A infielder. Um, To see him break out in this way was one of the most fun stories, I think, of the year. It might not be breakout prospect in terms of, you know, he's got a great future, but the guy's a major leaguer now when he was an Italian baseball player a year ago. I would say it's definitely most uh, movie script worthy. Yeah, the rookie too. Yeah, the yeah, exactly. Yeah, or like million dollar arm. Goes in, yeah, the rookie goes international. <laughs> yeah, we'll have Josh do the uh, Egan do the translation for us. Um, so that do it. <laughs> so that will move us to our rookies of the year selections. Uh, and. Here we go. Sam took Vlad Guerrero Jr. and Victor Robles, both very good picks. Kelsey took Eloy Jimenez and Pete Alonso, both very good picks, especially the latter. Uh, Josh took Jesus Luzardo uh, and Chris Paddock on the other side. Uh, and I took Forrest Whitley and uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. The uh, the glut of guys. Like, looking back on this, I'm like, man, I don't think any of those picks were bad at the beginning of the year. Obviously, some of those guys had health issues and that type of stuff. Um, but, man, there are, and it's the perfect week to say it with the, the We Play Loud campaign out there. But, man, there are some really good young players in baseball right now. It is a fun era. Yeah, no, definitely. And, and this is kind of what we expected. Um, you know, we expected Vlad Jr. to do better, but I think he caught mm-hmm. fire there in the second half. Uh, Fernando Tatis Jr., it's really unfortunate he got hurt down the stretch because Pete Alonso, who I think is our, probably going to be our uh, all of our picks for who should actually win NL Rookie of the Year. The guy set the, the rookie record in home runs with 53. But 
you know, Tatis was doing all the little things well that we saw him do in the minors to the point where their wars were pretty comparable. Yeah. And it was just going to become a, you know, flavor decision. Do you like somebody who can do multiple things? Or do you like the guy who's going to sock dingers at a historic rate? Um, so it's kind of too bad we were robbed of that. Tatis has certainly looked good. Even Eloy Jimenez, Jimenez like, got off to a rough start. Yeah, the but second half he's been great. I think he was the, was he the September player of the month for the American League, something yeah. like yeah, that? I believe so. Yeah. Um, so, you know, as much as... And he still we, hit 31 homers. Right, which was second only to Alonzo yeah. in terms of rookies this year. Um, you know, it, it, these picks are going to be wrong by that kind of nature of things, but uh, the kids did pretty good this year, I think. Give yeah. it to me straight. Do you think Lazardo has a shot? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, that was maybe, a long pick maybe you made in 2020. It. It's not a bad pick. Maybe you just you didn't necessitate. Did you specify that it was 2019? Maybe you were just early. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I we'll said just go with that. 2020 is what I said. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you look good the other night. Yeah, for uh, yeah. Pete Al- for Pete Alonso under my notes, I just wrote dingers with five Zs because that's all I really need. But he's also pretty exciting. I like that he has really brought in the fan base. They've really embraced him. And, you know, yeah. especially the season with the Mets, uh, you know, going up and down so much and, like, the fans really needing something to hold on to. I think Pete Alonso was that. You know, he dropped the R and he was just ready to roll. And he's just been great as their polar bear. But there's something to be said for somebody who we didn't pick, and we mentioned a little earlier, but Mike Soroka um, was healthy this year, and that's something he's maybe struggled with a little bit in the past, uh, but just did all the little things that you need to do to kind of succeed as a pitcher in 2019. The guy rarely gave up home runs, only 0.7 home runs per nine, which in 2019 is really good. Uh, 2.68 ERA, over 174 and two-thirds innings. Uh, you know, uh, a, Kind of an extreme ground ball pitcher, which is going to work with that ball in the majors right now. 51.2% of, of his batted balls are on the ground. Uh, you know, there's an argument to be made about him versus Alonzo. I think Alonzo wins that pretty clearly. But if we're going to have a National League Rookie of the Year discussion, at least Soroka being the way he played for the Braves and kind of shored up that rotation and gave them that option that they were hopeful somebody in that mix would be, whether it be Wilson, Soroka, Wright, Toussaint, what have you, um, for him to, to take that step was huge for them and a big reason why they're playing in the NLDS right now. Uh, yeah, I'm right, I'm right there with you. I still stand by Tatis as a pick if he would have stayed healthy. I don't know if he uh, edges Pete Alonso, but if you look at his pace, there was a shot that he was going to hit 40 homers and had an OPS near 1,000 when he got hurt, which is ridiculous, especially playing half your games at, at the graveyard that is Petco Park. So um, I think that one was decent. Uh, Forrest Whitley, not so much. Uh, he was kind of like Odysseus this year. He pitched at four different stops, um, really rough results in AAA. Uh, now, obviously, he's headed to the, to the Arizona Fall League um, and has gotten started there, kind of looking like the, the guy of old but the overall numbers this year were ugly um the thing that's important to keep in mind about Forrest Whitley he's 22 still um and when you're 22 and you're six foot seven and you're still trying to figure out how to be the best version of yourself as a pitcher uh it takes longer for some guys than it does for others so I think he'll probably be fine but this year was definitely not the uh the banner year that I thought maybe was coming from Forrest Whitley but he, he he when he was with those Padres, he, you know, before the injury, he was also just so 
fun to watch. Yeah, um, he was an electric. I mean, player. obviously Alonzo at bats became became pretty special too because you knew there was a pretty good chance he was going to have a run. But yeah, so he's all around his whole game. It was, it was yeah, electric is the word. That's right. The uh, Joe Bauman Home Run Award, which every year it seems like we have our most entertaining debate over who is uh, is going to come away with it. Um, this season uh, lands in the uh, Arizona Diamondbacks organization as uh, the, the the way the ball flew this year in in AAA is still like a little mind-boggling um like i'm just looking back on some of the numbers of dudes uh who came around in the uh in the triple a ranks this year but 38 home runs for uh kevin crone who played 82 games in triple a this year uh 38 home runs for triple a reno grabs him the uh the bauman home run award uh spoiler alert none of us had him picked at the start of the season sam took grant levine uh i took joey bart no kelsey took joey bart um casey golden for josh big surprise there uh i took alex kirilov uh we also threw out toward the end maybe somebody like nolan gorman maybe somebody like tristan Cassis. none of those dudes uh it was the man himself uh kevin crone who and yeah we didn't see that yeah (laughs) congrats to him it was fun watching him mash dingers every night it was and the coolest thing is that you know the the bauman's always hard because there's the curse of well if you're doing really well you're gonna get promoted so like how can you do well enough to be the best in the minors but stay in the minors he kind of beat that by by getting promoted and you know not being in the minors for a full season but also doing enough damage while he was there in those 84 games that it worked out for him yeah we, we should mention he also got one in the azl right which is right, a little cheapy right. a little bit on a, I mean, a, a rehab more, more than a pcl uh, home run I mean, a little bit, a little bit of a difference. It does count though. That, yeah. So it is, it's 39 total home runs. That's I did short in that one. That's true. But, um, yeah. It's the, the PCL ball is the equivalent of the AZL pitching. I think is how that, I think that's where that, I think that's what the conversion chart says. Yeah. I don't know. But, but I do think Crone was kind of in the perfect situation there, as you mentioned, Kelsey, because he was behind Christian Walker for Arizona, who uh, himself was trying to replace Paul Goldschmidt. But Christian Walker was the, in Crone's seat for a while. You know, he had mashed it at Reno, and he had, been, he had done that in the Baltimore system before that. Everybody had said, just give this guy a chance. Let's see what he can do for a full season. They also play in the, the NL. Both of those guys are kind of DH types, um, but it's difficult to carry them at both at the same time. So even though he got 39 games of major league experience this year, he still needed to be kind of kept down to allow Walker to show what he has while the D-backs were trying to figure out that first base position. Um, I don't know if Crone has done enough to really make himself a contender there. Going into 2019, he still only hit 211 with a 790 OPS in the majors in his limited looks there. But uh, Lord knows he matched the ball plenty in the minors and uh, kind of walked away with it. Grant Levine, my pick on that, trying to go for Asheville over a triple-A ball scenario. Looks laughable in uh, retrospect, but assuming there won't be any changes to where the ball will be placed next year, I think we all have to pick triple-A players and see how things shake out from there. Maybe Casey Golden will play out for the uh, Albuquerque Isotopes next year, Josh, and you can pick him for the third straight year. Well, I sit before you now, and vow that I will not pick him for a third straight year. Right. Wow. Yeah. Somebody write this down. We shall see in a few months. Yeah. 
Uh, Casey Golden, not a bad season, by the way. He had 23 uh, with Class A Advanced Lancaster. Um, the uh, Alex Kirilov pick, we actually will talk about here in a moment as well because it ties into our next conversation, but he got a late start to the year. Um, still put together a very good season, but uh, power numbers just nine homers for the season and 94 games played. Um, and uh, so big congratulations to Mr. Crone on his uh, Joe Bauman home run award. And that brings us to our final category, which is in which we selected who we anticipated heading into opening day in 2020 be the top overall prospect in baseball sam took wander franco who it looks like will be certainly that guy um going into 2020 kelsey and josh took alex kirilov uh and i took mackenzie gore um which uh kirilov again like just mentioned a little bit hampered the beginning of the season only played in 94 games uh, mackenzie gore really really good season but uh wander franco is he is the next phenom as if the rays needed more super good young dudes Yeah, I think we all kind of knew that Wander was going to be it. Uh, but I was like, maybe Kirilov will have another crazy year like he did in 2018 when he hit, like, what, 382 or something like that. Uh, again, the injuries, he had went on the aisle twice it, this year, so that didn't help, and he only hit 282 with, like Tyler said, or the nine homers. Um, but, yeah, I think that Tyler, Wander will be our number one till maybe 2021 since there's no more September call-ups. Um but I think that Wander actually had a pretty quiet, exciting year. Like, the fact that he hit 327 still surprises me. Like, I don't think that he was getting a lot of hits every night, but he was probably still going, like, two for four every night, which obviously leads to a, a big average. Uh, but he's just consistently that good. Yeah, and one of the things he doesn't – or he does that I get excited to see in a box score but isn't exciting in terms of if you're there every night is – the guy makes excessive amounts of contact and has one of the most advanced eyes you can have. This, these are things we used to say about Vlad Jr. when he was coming up. But uh, Wander Franco between Charlotte and Bowling Green this year struck out only 35 times in 114 games. He walked 56 times. Yeah, that was uh, ridiculous. Yeah, it's, yeah. That's, that's like a number from another era. Yeah, it, it, you would look at it and be like, okay, that's 1912 baseball, something like that. And he did all of that while being 18. He turned 18 in March. Uh, he was one of the youngest players in the Midwest League. He was the youngest player in the Florida State League. These, he should be you know, flailing left and right, trying to make all sorts of contact and missing and, and learning about that. But he already knows the strike zone incredibly well. He knows how to make hard contact, not just – this isn't the Nick Madrigal situation who is elite when it comes to making contact but has very little power. Franco has – some power and he's going to grow into more nine homers seven triples 27 doubles that's only going to expand as he matures physically and you know emotionally and gets to know a little bit more about the game but he's just so advanced and, and gets out of the florida state league exactly josh mm-hmm. um you know to, to do all these things it, it might not show up like you're saying we're not talking about him like crone having multiple three homer games this year um but to do all of this at his age should have anybody who gets a chance to see him, whether it's in the Southern League next year, Montgomery, or you know anywhere close to Tampa Bay, uh, getting to see him on a nightly basis. Potentially next year, probably more likely 2021. Um, there's a lot of excitement with this kid going at, a, after this uh, first full season. 
Um, a couple of guys who we just haven't mentioned because they haven't really fit into our conversation at all yet, but who I feel like deserve um, some mention. Luis Robert, the outfielder for the Chicago White Sox, who started the year as the preseason number 40 and is now number three in all of baseball. And uh, a fellow outfielder in Joe Adele. wasn't quite the same climb for Joe Adele. He was the preseason number 14, but now he is number five overall. Uh, he was injured in spring training, got a late start to the year, uh, but made it to AAA you know knocking on the door of the big leagues where he would join an already supremely talented outfield but those are a couple of guys uh Luis Robert at the beginning of the season was he was kind of Gavin Lux in the early months and then Gavin Lux was Luis Robert in the late months you know where you wanted to know what that guy was doing every single night um so he's not number one but he's definitely another guy for White Sox fans to be excited about and uh Joe Adele certainly the same thing in the Angels organization and um that that does it those are our uh our 2019 picks in review um i'm glad that i feel like i had two categories where i wasn't the abjectly worst pick which generally is not the case normally i'm just the worst on all of them so i feel like i did well this year yes <laughs> I, I wish we had kept scores yes, like we, we should have thought that. about it but then i did not <laughs> All of us are too scared to actually keep score and find out who came in fourth. Well, even with the, it was all subjective. So like we, you know, even when we did say, okay, yeah, this was the best team this year, but then there were a few other options. So I don't even know how you would keep score. Sure. Let's go with that. Let's go, yeah. Let's just, but Tyler, yeah. yes, your participation medal is in the mail. I don't even uh, look at these during the season because I don't want to know how badly I'm doing as the season is going along. But uh, not not as bad as I thought this year. Um, so that's uh, that'll wrap up our uh, our opening segment. Sam and I are going to be back with three strikes here in just a moment. But a th- big thanks to uh, to Josh and to Kelsey as always. And um, you know we're only five months away from doing this again and embarrassing ourselves once more in 2021. What 2020? What year? is it where are we (laughs) what is happening you got that wrong too tyler thanks everyone bye thank you goodbye everybody (laughs) can we just use that (laughs) as our sign off every week leaving that in So, again, uh, we thank Josh and Kelsey for stopping by, and that leads us into three strikes as segment number two for this week's episode of the show before the show. Our head of the class series continues in which we name uh, some of the most notable performers at each level in the 2019 season. We have wrapped that up. Uh, AAA, AA, Class A advanced, Class A short season, Class A full season, rookie advanced, all of it. Uh, We are uh, now done with the series sam's going to take you through triple a i wrote double a so i'll uh, i'll get you covered there but uh, sam triple a give us uh, the lowdown yeah so triple a actually was written by kelsey who you guys just heard um so go read her story just to breeze through some of the points here real quick um for most exciting hitter she had kevin crone we just talked about that a bunch so i'll leave him alone uh most exciting pitcher she had zach gallon uh who when he was in triple a was part of new orleans at the at that point was part of the Miami Marlins system. Eventually gets traded for top prospect Jazz Chisholm uh, before the deadline. He's now part of the Arizona, Arizona Diamondback system, but never actually pitched in AAA uh, with the D-backs at Reno. Uh, he's only been in the majors with Arizona. Uh, but when he was with New Orleans, was absolutely astounding. And we talked a lot about the issues with the ball this year, and that's what makes his numbers stand out all the more. Uh, 1.77 ERA, 112 strikeouts, only 17 walks, and 91 in the third innings. He gave up 10 homers in those uh, 14 starts, so he was not immune 
to, you know, giving up some gopher balls, but he limited that damage. And a big reason for that was, you know, hiking up those strikeouts, keeping the walks to a minimum. Uh, the way he took off was really special this year. I think it's a chance that the Diamondbacks got basically their number three starter right now uh, in a swap for a really good prospect. But as we saw down the stretch, Gallon could really help them out. He actually made more starts in the majors this year, 15 starts in the majors, 2.81 ERA, uh, was I think pretty easily the most exciting pitcher in AAA this year, either in the IL or uh, Pacific Coast League. She had for best team the Columbus Clippers. Uh, Sacramento actually won the AAA National Championship, as we've discussed on the show before. Uh, El Paso had some really good offensive numbers, uh, but Columbus did pretty much did well on pretty much both sides of the ball. Uh, they led the IL with 213 homers. They had some pretty good pitching as well. You know a lot of the hitters, Bobby Bradley, Eric Haas, Brandon Barnes, Kai Tom, uh, Michael Peoples, Nasher Wojciechowski uh, were really good in the rotation. Josh D. Smith was good in the bullpen. James Karinczak was good in the bullpen. Uh, they won their fourth Governor's Cup title in 10 years which is really, really good for Columbus. Uh, the new face in town was Gavin Lux. We've talked about him a bunch. The biggest performance that shouldn't go, go overlooked, Yasmani Tomas on that Reno team. Kevin Crone was obviously really, really good when it came to power. Yasmani Tomas uh, at one point had a four-homer game, which was absolutely insane. In that same game, his teammate Matt Caesar hit for the cycle. Um, so that was her pick for, for best performance. That was May 20th. Uh, when AAA Reno defeated Tacoma 25 to eight, uh, that was absolutely insane and kind of fun to look back on. Go check out Kelsey's story for more notes on all of these guys, all these teams, all these performances. Uh, but for AA Tyler, kind of take us through what you made your selections for. Yeah, the uh, the AA level, I kind of went with guys. Um, you know, you could have the conversation about players who spent just part of a season at a certain level. I try to go with guys who, and I know we all did in this series, who spent either the bulk or all of their seasons at a given level. So most exciting hitter, I went with D-backs catching prospect Dalton Varsho, who came back from a, a broken right hammock bone uh, in June of 2018. He came back toward the end of that season. But hammock bone injuries are always kind of finicky, and you worry sometimes about how guys will be able to bounce back from those. Uh, he was fantastic. 108 games played this season, um, a 301, 378, 520 slash line for Double A Jackson. He struck out 63 times, but walked 42 times. Those aren't necessarily Wander Franco numbers, but for a catcher they almost are um he also i thought this was fascinating he stole 21 bases uh that's not really anything that you see a catcher do anywhere anymore um but with 18 homers almost a 2020 guy is a catcher which is bizarre uh so dalton varsho was the most exciting uh hitter uh most exciting pitcher i went with zach Lather of the Bowie bay Sox, who um zach is not a guy who has anything really super highly rated in terms of his uh his scouting grades mlb pipeline pretty much pegs him as a, a 50 to 55 an average to slightly above average major league pitcher with his various pitches but the way he knows how to pitch the way he knows how to use his stuff the numbers he's put up uh, throughout his minor league career have been unbelievable. This season, 26 games uh, with the Bay Sox, 13-7 and record, 2.55 ERA, a 1.11 whip, and a 197 opponent's average. He also struck out 154 in 148 innings. And for a left-hander who's got a, a fastball that maybe touches 92, um, that is a throwback type of um, resume for a season. Um 
Best team this year, I went with Montgomery. Uh, the Biscuits won six more games than anybody else in AA. They swept both of their uh, division titles in the North Division in the Southern League. Um, and even though they didn't make it all the way through uh, to the Southern League Finals, still a, a really impressive team there. Uh, new kid in town, the uh, newcomer who I feel like is most exciting going into 2020 as a prospect at the level, Jared Kalnick um, of the Arkansas Travelers, the Seattle Mariners' top overall prospect, uh, who this year tore his way Way through three levels made it up to double a um in his final line across all three levels 291 364 540 uh between class a class a advanced and double a uh and he also in 21 games at the double a level slash 253 315 542 with six homers and four doubles uh to go along with a triple in 21 games which is pretty impressive stuff from jared kellenick and uh biggest performance was one of the final days of the year i took uh jeter downs with the tulsa drillers the dodger shortstop prospect who uh reached base six times and homered three times in game two of the texas league finals um big win that night for tulsa 18 to 9 that leveled that series at a game apiece of course tulsa would go on to fall uh, in game five of that series but jeter downs a, a really impressive performance in the uh final week of the minor league season in the double a texas league um the tool shed series which you should always be checking out at milb.com written by one sam dykstra is uh the subject of strike two this week in which uh we've talked about babip and top prospects uh iso which is a stat that i feel like not a ton of people have a great handle on what iso exactly means for hitters um but sam does a really good job of laying this out jeter downs is a guy who um talking about just a moment ago is uh a a key example of what exactly the iso stat can tell you about a hitter um and the tool shed piece is fantastic it's up on the site sam tell us about it yeah so iso for anybody who hasn't heard about it before is it stands for isolated slugging percentage um and you know we it's not exactly an advanced stat. It's actually pretty simple. All you're doing is subtracting uh, batting average from slugging percentage. Uh, and basically what that does is slugging percentage, we like to think of as slugging. It tells us who are the best boppers in baseball. Um, but it, it doesn't fully do that. You know, you could go two for five with two singles and you're going to have a 400 batting average and you're going to have a 400 slugging percentage and 400 slugging percentage isn't bad. Um, so if we were just to look at that, we might think, okay, the guy's got a little bit of pop. Obviously he doesn't. ISO would take that away. It would be 400 minus 400, a zero ISO. We would say, okay, there's zero pop to speak of here. Um, so I wanted to look at that a little bit, but it doesn't get interesting when we're looking at just ISO because who actually led top 100 prospects this year and I saw was Luis Robert who as we know is a pretty good power hitter um, you know that that isn't breaking news to me so what I want to do is talk about expectations for ISO and you know how players beat those expectations so Jeter Downs coming into the year uh, was basically best well known for being part of the trade that sent Yasiel Puig and a few others to Cincinnati. Uh, he went from Cincinnati to the Dodgers, along with Josiah Gray, who was another breakout prospect in that Dodger system. Uh, and you know, didn't ha- have much power last year at Class A. D- Dayton, 13 homers in 120 games, pretty good, but had a 402 slugging percentage, 753 OPS. Um, did not necessarily look like a guy ready to pop. He goes to the Dodgers this year, goes from 13 homers to 24 homers. 
his slugging percentage between Class A Advanced Rancho Cucamonga and Double A Tulsa jumped to 526. He had an 888 OPS across both places. Uh, in terms of ISO, he actually had the second highest ISO among all top 100 prospects this year uh, at 250. That's higher than guys like Sam Huff, Dylan Carlson, who we talked about before, Jared Kelnick, who we've talked about before, um, you know, some of the guys who have played at AAA. His ISO was greater than those guys. So what went into that? How was he able to beat expectations? Uh, I think a big part of it, and I include his spray chart in here, was that he was able to go to the opposite field a little bit better. If you look at his extra base hit chart from 2018, everything was pull side. Um, basically, all of his doubles, all of his home runs were uh, he had two triples. One was to left center. One was to right center. Otherwise, he was pulling everything to left. You look at it this year in 2019, he was able to hit a couple more home runs to, to right center and to straight up right. Uh, he was able to get more doubles that way as well. There isn't a heck of a lot up the middle. Um, but in terms of picking up those extra bases that are good for slugging percentage, good for uh, extra base hits, he was able to spray it around a little bit better. Uh, you know, is he going to be a massive slugger going forward? I still wouldn't say he's a 60 uh, power guy yet. Uh, you know, even though that's the way he performed this year, he's still probably more of a 55. But power is not something we expected him to have much of it, if anything, coming into 2019. He definitely showed that stat. And there's a reason why Jeter Downs is a top 100 prospect now. It's because he exploded in this way. Uh, he still will be a little bit more of a hit tool guy than a power tool guy. But uh, to talk about somebody who's five foot 11, 180 pounds and showing off, you know, close to 25 homers already in just his second full season. Now he's probably going to go to the PCL. Now he's probably going to go to the majors. What can he do with that ball? Uh, guys like Jose Altuve and Mookie Betts have shown that size isn't everything not that he's small at 511 but he's not a hulking slugger by any means in along the lines of a sam huff or jordan alvarez um but he can make this power work and something we have to pay more attention to now as opposed to so, so that's why i wrote this story the way i do um you know Luis robert we were always going to look at his power uh jared kelnick we were always going to probably look at his power Jeter Downs not. Now I think we have to pay attention to this. And I break it down. You can see some of his opposite field homers, some of his straightaway homers in this. Uh, the fact that he, I think he had four homers in the postseason as well is a sign that this isn't going anywhere. Uh, Jeter Downs is now somebody we have to watch. And after the way Gavin Lux popped in 2019, can Jeter Downs take that next level, follow that script, and do the same thing when he reaches the upper levels for more extended time in 2020. We'll have to see, but definitely an exciting jump for him uh, this past couple months. And strike three, Major League playoffs are here. We have our uh, wild card game winners, the Washington Nationals, finally able to, to win an elimination game in thrilling comeback fashion. Tampa Bay Rays go on the road. They knock out the Oakland Athletics. Um, we've already seen contributions from guys that, you know, we talked a little bit earlier in the show. We saw both Sean Murphy and Jesus Lazardo pitch uh, and catch yesterday for the Oakland Athletics. Obviously, the Tampa Bay Rays are awash with prospects that it feels like we've been talking about for uh, years that are now – 
either at uh, the major league level and contributing in the wild card game or set to contribute coming up in the American League Division Series. Uh, Washington Nationals, Juan Soto comes through with the huge hit. Talked about Juan Soto forever. The Milwaukee Brewers uh, eliminated, but Keston Hira um, and the contributions that he's made to that team, obviously a, a tough way for the season to end for Trent Grisham, but um, they are uh, just a smattering of dudes uh, in a group of young talent uh, that really headlined this major league postseason. What are you most excited about for the big league playoffs? The, the now that we're into the division series, um, this is going to be the teams that are left. The eight teams that are left. These are all really, really good matchups. I feel like. Oh yeah, no, I, I looking at the the way these teams are kind of lined up. Um, I don't think there's a series that I'm not excited about. Really, uh, you know, I thought the Dodgers were going to kind of be a powerhouse in the NL, and I still think they're my pick to go to the world series on that side of the bracket. But the, the nets they're starting Patrick Corbin game one and they still have Max Scherzer. I know he, he was rough in the wild card, um, but he's still there. Steven Strasburg showed in the wild card game, what he's capable of doing. Having three starting pitchers is a very good foundation for the playoffs. We'll have to see what the nets can do there. Braves Cardinals may be the one I'm least excited about in terms of matchups, but the Cardinals really came on strong at the end. Uh, I think the Braves are the second best team in the NL. We'll see uh, like how that kind of goes with, you know, the Braves are a little lighter on pitching, I think, but, uh, uh, you know, Mike Soroka, we mentioned Dallas Keuchel here pitched game one. Um, what, what things go there, the twins and Yankees, there are going to be so many dingers hit in that series. It's basically going to be, you know, wh- who's the last slugger standing. Coors. Yeah, Coors. Both of those teams playing in Denver. I would sign up for that. <laughs> I would 100% sign up for that. Uh, and then Rays and Astros. I think the Rays are going to have to basically cut the Astros a thousand different ways to, to come out of this series. It's going to be like little dinks and dunks, little runs here and there. Uh, decisions like starting Yandy Diaz at leadoff. Um, I, I just think the Astros are too much of a juggernaut for anybody to stop. And I think this is really going to be the postseason of Jordan Alvarez. Um, he's not talked about in the ways of an Alex Bregman quite yet or a Carlos Correa or a George Springer. I mean, you were to ask the average fan who's the, the best slugger in the Astros lineup. Those are the names that are probably going to come first by the end of this postseason. I think it's probably going to go Bregman one, Alvarez two. Um, I'm really excited for the baseball world to fully catch on to Jordan Alvarez. I think he's going to do what he did during the regular season, but on the biggest stage. Uh, You know, they commemorated a homer he hit in that park already uh, with his special seat. Uh, The guy can't really be stopped. He's shown that and uh, getting his chance to, to show it potentially on the way to an Astros World Series title is really, really exciting. That's my pick. I think we're going to have Astros and Dodgers in a rematch uh, from them a couple of years ago. And I think the Astros are just too deep in terms of a lineup, too deep in terms of rotation. Zach Greinke being your third best starter is absolutely insane. Uh, at, but backing up Justin Verlander and Garrett Cole, I don't see a way – any team can kind of get around that. Maybe the Rays can, again, if they play matchups really, really well and some decisions shake out their way. But uh, I think this is basically the Astros to lose at this point. Yeah, I'd probably have to agree with you. Um, and yet it's not like, you know, I feel like in – well. It's not like the Patriots where you're like, oh, they're going to win and this is going to be terrible for everyone. Like, the Astros are so fun, and I enjoy it. 
Um, and that will do it for three strikes. Benjamin Hill coming up next. Well, we're spending a lot of this week's show uh, reviewing the 2019 season, obviously, now that we are fully in off-season mode. And it's a good time to bring in uh, MILB.com's Benjamin Hill. We're going to be talking about the Golden Bobblehead Awards this this week, um, something that got handed out at the pro, uh, promo seminar, the old promo seminar, uh, the Innovation Summit, Innovator Summit in El Paso uh, last week. Ben, welcome in. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. And Sam, it's nice to be sitting uh, to your left in a room. I think we've mentioned before, but this room is baffling. And I'm going to put a picture on a Twitter up later of this, yeah. of this room. So uh, after you hear this segment, uh, check out my Twitter account, Ben's Biz. But this is a small conference room. I don't know the exact square footage, but about as small a conference room as you can attain in this building, or at least in, within our company. And there are, we counted, and maybe are missing some, 78 different electrical outlets. And the wall straight across from us has four or has three rows of four panels with four outlets in each one spaced out methodically along the wall. So we are staring just right ahead of us at 4, 8, 12, 16, 32, 48 electrical outlets on the wall. Yeah, this this feels a little bit like a press conference to me. We've got a microphone here. We're talking and we're just surrounded by outlets. We really are. <laughs> wow. Sam's going for it early. Yeah. He's going for it early. This is the tone we are setting here for the, uh, the Ben's Biz segment this week. Um, but yeah, let's but anyhow, but anyways, I can't segue out of that. I am not as good a host as, as Tyler is maybe. Um, but yeah, brought up the golden bobbleheads. Um, you wrote this up this week, including all the finalists teams have won. Um, there are many different categories here. It's not just like, here's the best promo of the year, according to minor league baseball. Um, so what can you kind of tell us about this? We'll start here with best theme night, which is, I think something we usually talk a lot about on this show our theme nights. Uh, the one that won this year was the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers for Salute to Cows, which I think everybody out there will remember better as the Utter Tuggers. They also won Best Overall Golden Bobblehead. So what can you tell us about why Wisconsin was so successful with, with this and why it won? Yeah, well, you know, well, first just to give a little more background on the Golden Bobbleheads. Um, they are, there are six different categories and they are uh, minor League Baseball's head office in St. Pete's uh, accepts team submissions for golden bobbleheads all throughout the year, uh, broken into six different categories. And so there's a lot going on in these awards, and they are awarded on the last day of the Innovator Summit, uh, which was in El Paso this past week when I talked to you guys last week and I was in El, in El Paso. And uh, prior to going to El Paso, I wrote a story on, um, you know, as you mentioned, um, the theme night category, because I thought it was the one that probably had the most interest to the general public, and it's uh, encompasses the promos we talk about the most. Mm. Um, so that was one of six categories. And then there's also a best overall category. So if you attend the minor league baseball innovator summit, which was formerly the promotional yes, seminar, right. it always gets confusing. Yeah. I still want to call it that apparently. Yeah. Innovator summit. Yeah. And just trying to write intros to these stories and trying to like not write 400 words just to set it up, trying to explain all this. But what we're getting to is basically these are end of the year promo awards. You mentioned the theme night, which didn't just win theme night, it won best overall. So once um, industry, the, the people attending the uh, Innovator Summit 
they vote for uh, their favorite in each category and then choose, okay, of those ones you voted for, what was your favorite of all of those? Mm -hmm. And so the best theme night as well as best overall, which I did not handicap the Golden Bobbleheads, but if I had had to guess, I don't think I would have guessed that uh, the other Tuggers would have emerged victorious, especially with uh, both the best theme night and best overall. Not saying it wasn't worthy, but... There were just a lot of contenders. It was a loaded category. The Omaha Potholes are here. The River Dogs McGuckin Night, which yeah. we talked about for a, a long time. Yeah, Myrtle Beach Pelicans with a with a horse race on the warning track. And also keep in mind that these are voted on after every team that's been nominated gives a presentation, which can influence the vote itself. You know, um, the Myrtle Beach Pelicans did their pre- Hunter Hornstein, one of the um, promotions. Uh, I don't want to say gurus. I don't like that word, but uh, uh, does mavens? Yeah, a great maven with the Myrtle Beach Pelicans. Uh, he did his uh, presentation uh, about their uh, Derby Eve promotion while riding on the back of a horse, which was one of his coworkers uh, dressed up in a horse costume. Oh, darn it. So good. yeah, so many questions about that. Yeah, so all during the morning, you're watching all these um, presentations for all the different Golden Bobblehead finalists, and that can sway the boat, vote too. And teams are very brazen. Um, you know, the, the Myrtle Beach Pelicans, in addition to the hijinks I just mentioned, also gave out mint juleps to, to everybody. And the Wisconsin Timber, timber Rattlers were not immune to this uh, pre-vote bribery. There were uh, stuffed cows with the Utter Tugger uh, uniforms on uh, that were available just that were on a table, and you could, you could just take one. So... Um, you know, a lot of things go into the voting. Anyhow, to bring it back around to what you initially asked me about, Utter Tuggers, best theme night. There was a lot of competition. Best overall promotion of 2019, uh, Golden Bobblehead, ultimate winner. And, you know, I'm happy for the Timber Adlers. That's a great operation. Uh, really fun team to visit. I'm overdue for a visit. Appleton, Wisconsin. Dairy industry is, uh, you know, prevalent in the state of Wisconsin and, of course, around Appleton. So they've been doing a Salute to Cows night. Um, I mean, I think back to the early days of Ben's Biz blog, RIP, um, you know, when I was covering uh, Salute to Cows and I pretty much every year and contacting the team, you know, almost not pre-social media, but things were different then and saying, hey, send me pictures and I'll write a blog post about it. You know, so it's something of theirs I've uh, covered for a long time. But this year, you know, Salute to Cows Night is never going to win really any awards. It'll make people laugh and say, that's pretty good. But Salute to Cows Night in which you then rebrand the team as the Utter Tuggers. That's where it goes over the top. That's where you win the award. That uh, even within this, the context of minor league baseball uh, in the latter part of this decade, uh, the second decade of the 21st century, uh, for those keeping score at home, this is an irreverent name even for this era of minor league baseball, the Utter Tuggers. And if you haven't seen the, the logo that's on the hat, you, know, you have this cow walking upright with its nipples, its udders, you know, protruding outwardly from its stomach. So... Um, it's all very tasteful, don't get me wrong, um, uh, sublime even, but it, it's a really interesting uh, promotion, and, uh, you know, of course, there's a lot of in-game stuff, you know, milk chugging contests, and I think an actual cow showed up, and, uh, and that kind of thing, so it's a big, big celebration of dairy at the ballpark, but I think really what it came down to is this one-night rebrand, or the, the fact they changed their name, and, uh, you know, if you recall when they announced that name, it went viral almost immediately, the team sold out of all of their stock of merchandise in five hours. So that speaks to not just the local response, but people all over the country being, you know, oh, man, <laughs> I, I need some Utter Tuggers merch. I'm sure some of that might have been bought as a joke for friends and family. But may, I don't know, maybe not. It, it obviously touched on many levels, and uh, 
the industry apparently loved it, voting it, as we said, best theme night and uh, best overall promo. Moving along to the next category here was best digital campaign or activation. Um, this is something that people do get to see on social media and all that, but it's not necessarily something you're going to see at the ballpark and, and come through in that way. Um, but Tacoma won this one for their This Is R, and it's the letter R, City uh, video series. What, what about this seemed to uh, touch base with so many folks in El Paso? Yeah, well, it's just really, really well produced. The, uh, the, the I want to call them the Rainiers. <laughs> the Rainiers, um, all season long, uh, have been producing these uh, these videos, as this is our city videos, um, that just highlight you know the cultural institutions, the small businesses, mm -hmm. the eccentric characters that are very specific to Tacoma. And these videos are really well produced. Um, you know, you could expand this series out into a you know standalone TV show, really. Um, and they're done in that style with you know energetic hosting and, and very good editing and production and uh, really taking the time to get to know the, these different people uh, all over Tacoma, you know, running the restaurants, the bars, the, uh, the shops, uh, you know, the museums, all that sort of thing. So I think this resonated because it was such an in-depth exploration of the city. And if minor league baseball, uh, if so much of it, of course, is about trying to connect with your community and trying to celebrate your community and trying to be an ingrained part of your community, I think a video series like this in which the team really put the resources into it that were needed to do a high quality production while also hiring the people needed to to put it together uh, speaks to a real commitment on their part to create a real high high quality campaign that uh, as far as I know is going to you know be rolling straight ahead into next year and beyond. Yeah and when you talk about something like Wisconsin they have a, a connection with the dairy industry and, and that being a big thing in that area but this seems like so reproducible for any individual city or town that has minor league baseball. And it would be different. It, it doesn't have to be this exact thing. This tweet you included in the story is about, you know, a, a, a restaurant called Dirty Oscars that serves boozy breakfast. But, you know, every place somewhere in El Paso might be doing Tex-Mex. Somewhere in Florida might be doing, you know, Cuban food, something like that. There's so many options for this. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's something that motivates my career is, you know, exploring America through minor league baseball and trying to highlight the people, places, and things that make it unique. So a campaign like that in which a team really dives deep into their community in order to highlight those things uh, is something that resonates with me for sure. And, and absolutely, as you said, something that other teams could do, something that literally every team could do. I mean, you would need the time and resources and money to do it, but it could be done, and I think it would result in a... I hate the word content, but great content. Yeah, right. And speaking of something that's easily reproduced, I would hope, anyway, uh, is the best community promotion or event. This one went to the Lakeland Flying Tigers for Teacher Appreciation Night. Uh, you know, Teacher Appreciation Night sounds somewhat vague, but what made this special was giving one area teacher a master's degree from Southeastern University. Um, obviously, not every minor league team is going to be near university or college but a lot of them are uh this feels like something other teams could do but what about lakeland's attempt to give out a master's degree like this yeah yeah it's so special i mean you'll see education and teachers nights you know all over minor league baseball and a lot of teams are doing you know exemplary things in that category lakeland won this because of i think just uh, how they went the extra mile to reward a teacher with something truly meaningful uh in advance of this night which took place in may they submitted applications from local teachers saying you know we'll choose one to uh, be awarded a uh, you know on the house master's degree scholarship uh, from Southeastern University, and the woman they ended up picking 
this woman, Susan Carlton, and you know we, we learned about her in the presentation the Tigers gave uh, at the summit. I mean, she just had a, a really, well, she had a very rough go of it. She was living in Appalachia. Um, you know, was homeless for a time when she moved to Florida, I think to initially work at Disney, uh, single mother, um, you know, struggling with some of her own medical issues, uh, special needs children she was raising. And then she still, through all that, got a teaching degree and got a job as a teacher. And I think with her story and the perseverance that was necessary for her even to become a teacher in the first place, I think really tugged at the heartstrings to say like, all right, we're going to go out of our way to help you now and uh, help you get to that next level because you've sh shown so much drive and dedication on your own under very trying circumstances. So uh, I think obviously that's a great one, the, you know, mm -hmm. making, I don't want to say dreams come true, but really helping to further the dreams and, uh, you know, the necessary career goals of someone who uh, has gone out of their way to be a success under very trying circumstances. Yeah, we talk so much about teams trying to have an impact in the community. And here's something very direct you can say. It's just like, oh, if we bring in this amount of money, we do this for you know, local businesses, whatever. Here's a very big difference they are making in somebody's life. life. And I think that you know could happen with almost any club out there. Hopefully it will going forward. Um, a lot of this stuff is game promotion. The next one is best non-game day event. Uh, this one went to Nashville Sounds for their Play Like a Girl initiative. Um, what was this like and, and what tipped this over the edge here? Yeah, well, I think what's cool about this one is, um, well, there was a, there's Play Like a Girl, an organization, um, you know, promoting uh, young women, young females in, in playing sports. Uh, they had a STEM camp in the city of Nashville and through that camp, they set up one day to spend it with the Nashville Sounds. And so, you know, given the name of the organization, Play Like a Girl, and that you're going to a minor league baseball stadium, you think, oh, well, they're, you know, they're going to play baseball. And they did. And that's great to encourage the game of baseball among young girls who often don't get that opportunity or who get filtered into softball very early, uh, whether they want to or not. But in addition to a skills camp put on by the Sounds players, which took place, you know, for hours in the afternoon, you know, that in and of itself is a great thing. But then they also did a corresponding thing with these young women as well, in which um, eight female staff members on the Nashville Sounds, representing all areas of the team's business operation, gave them, you know, a tutorial <clears throat> and lessons and, you know, life advice based on what they do as front office members uh, working for a minor league baseball team, which I think is, I don't want to rank the importance or say one is more important than ever, but to give these campers both sides of the baseball experience. You know, we will help improve your game and your athleticism through instruction from, you know, professionals and elite professionals at that, you know, AAA baseball players, but at the same time, give you a window into how you could start to think about how you, like, yes, you could work in baseball, no matter what your specific interests are, no matter what your skill levels are in sports, um, you know, to have that template and to, you know, learn from someone who's actually doing it is something that's very cool. And, um, you know, it, it play like a girl. I don't know much about them. Sounds like a great organization. I mean, I just love that idea in general, to me, to be honest, um, just thinking about myself as a young person and how things could have been pretty wildly changed for me if I had gone to, uh, you know, I grew up in Pennsylvania. I don't know if I'd gone to a Reading Phillies game and learned about mm -hmm. the jobs you can do there. Um, you know, so that thing, I think it's really cool to, to uh, expose young people to um, what jobs are actually like. So they're not just thinking, oh, that sounds abstractly like a cool thing. They actually know, you know what is it? If, right. you're, if you work in media relations for a minor league baseball team, what is it? 
what do you have to learn? Do you think I would like, you know, I'm, would I like this? Mm-hmm. And I love that whole concept. And, and not only that, they're meeting with female members of it too. So yeah. it's so much easier for these young women to, to see themselves in that, in that place. Not that they have to just work in front offices, but, um, you know, we talk about setting examples and being role models for younger generations. And it's, it's so much easier to see a path when you can see somebody who's taking that path. Yeah. 100%. And, uh, I think that's why this resonated. Yeah. And then, uh, so going from out of game back to in game, this was the best in game promotion or event. I would say I was least surprised this one won. Uh, if you've been anywhere around the Gwinnett Stripers social media experience this season, you know about the fridge. Uh, the fr- what can you tell us about the fridge and why this one won over so many other really cool in game stuff? Well, it was last year uh, in 2018 that the Atlanta Braves, in my mind, ripping off a Lake Elsinore storm concept, but that's neither here nor there. But as you probably know, as a baseball fan, uh, the Atlanta Braves last year had the Beat the Freeze race, you know, which became a big viral sensation where um, the fans chosen for this would get a huge head start. And then the Freeze, who was obviously a very, very good athlete, mm-hmm. track athlete, would uh, pull off these improbable comebacks at the very last second. That race um, you know, went really well. And then so Gwinnett, the Gwinnett Stripers, uh, who play near the Braves and, of course, also their AAA affiliate, they're like, okay, we've got the freeze, you know, the freezer, I guess. We're going to go with the fridge. And the fridge is sort of the anti-freeze. He's 300 pounds. He wears this metallic bodysuit, and he is given a head start in the race. And, uh, you know, that makes the people he raced against very cocky. But the fridge is actually, for a 300-pound man, like very fast. So these videos which if you follow minor league baseball and you're on especially you know twitter and facebook you probably saw some fridge videos during the year they were they were all over the place uh these improbable videos in which the fridge you know limps out gets tired uh, already pulls at his hands yeah and, and like fakes it all and then uh you know when he turns on the jets man it's crazy so this went this went viral and and as you said like if i was picking of all the categories if i had to pick who's gonna win in one category I was like, the fridge is definitely going to win. And, yeah. it, and it did. Uh, I just love it when he kicks <laughs> Yeah, we're watching, <laughs> we're watching the fridge video in the article right now. This is becoming a reaction podcast yeah. very quickly. But, um, but it's pretty amazing. I mean, he's, he's legitimately faster than much than what appear to be much younger and more athletic individuals. Yeah, and this is in June. I mean, you would hope word would have spread at that point that don't, uh, don't doubt the fridge, but... Hopefully people understand going into 2020. It'll be fun to see what they can do with that one. The The last one I believe we have here is best specialty jerseys. Um, when we talk about promos, a lot of what we talk about is jerseys. We talked about that with the other Tuggers. That's kind of what pushed them over the edge for the tribute to cows. Um, but this one is specifically based on the look. And I think this is a great selection. It was the Bowie Bay Sox for the moon landing 50th anniversary. Um, what got them here? Well, this is category is a little different. One, it's new for this year, the new Golden Bobblehead category for this year. And unlike the other categories we talked about that were voted on at the Innovator Summit by you know, people within the industry attending the summit, this one was uh, voted on uh, by fans online uh, via the website MILB.com, which... I may have heard of. You may have heard of. It's the official website of Minor League Baseball. Uh, so through this fan vote with, it was what, one, two, three, four, five finalists, um, Bowie won the fan vote for their moon landing uh, jersey. Of course, they were up against a lot of other great jerseys. Uh, quite a few teams did some kind of moon 
anniversary promo in the year 2019, you know, riffing on the 50th anniversary of the initial moon landing, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin. Uh, the Bay Sox did have one of the most attention-getting theme jerseys in that category. Uh, on the front, you have Buzz Aldrin standing next to the American flag, you know, saluting when he was on the moon. The back has a full moon. You have this uh, patriotic uh, red, white, and blue American flag coloring through the Bay Sox team name on the front and through the numbers on the back. And uh, just with the color scheme, you know, the black and the white and the moon and the red, white, and blue and uh, celebrating an anniversary, it just uh, really jumped off, uh, jumped off the page, jumped off the website for a lot of people and, uh, and won the vote. Yeah, I think it's that incorporation of the flag in the kind of font. It just pops. The whole thing pops incredibly well. It, it, obviously, it's mostly black and white pictures of the moon um, with the big blue marble in the background. But um, just the way the whole concept comes together. Uh, I think is really well done because there are so many directions you could go in for a moon jersey uh, and to have one that seems to, you know, a concept that seems to come together this well is pretty rare and obviously rare. It, it, it hit a chord with fans at home. Um, so that's the golden bobbleheads. That's kind of the wrapping up of the promo stuff. You might be doing a story coming up on your favorites of the year. I think, yeah, I think I'm going to do one. I, I, I got some mileage uh, out of covering the golden bobbleheads this year. And I think it is a good thing to cover because, um, gives us a chance to talk about promos that we don't really talk about else, you know, elsewhere, like yeah. as we just did, you know, these, you know, whatever it is, like digital campaigns and non-game day events. I think it's a good way to illuminate those sort of things. But I think I'll go back to my basics, my bread and butter, and do an article in the near future just saying, hey, these are my favorite promos of the year. And those are usually going to be more in the standalone theme night sort of category. Uh, but I think I'll have to pick some of my own and get those out there in the very near future. Maybe yeah. even next week. Maybe even next week we will talk about this. Time shall tell. Yeah, we'll see. One thing we will be talking about in the next week, it's, it's been announced uh, that Saturday, Potomac Nationals will be coming out with a new identity. We know they are moving stadiums. Uh, we can't say what that new identity is going to be. Like we said, by the time you, you hear this, you might already know it uh, if you're listening to it Saturday or Sunday. But um, that's kind of the kickstart of rebranding season. That is, rebranding season starts October 5th. Jeez. Uh, so what can you kind of preview for us about what's coming in the pipeline in terms of what's been announced as coming for rebrands? Yeah, well, there are four new stadiums this year, uh, three of them being relocating teams, um, and all of them will have new identities. One was announced way in advance, the Rocket City Trash Pandas, so we already know that. But then this, the 2019-2020 rebranding season kicks off with, as you mentioned, Fredericksburg, who are relocating from Potomac, where the Potomac Nationals played. They're going to Fredericksburg, announcing their name on Saturday. Uh, then we have a new ballpark in Wichita, and uh, we will be hearing uh, down the line from Wichita and what their team name is. They're replacing the New Orleans Baby Cakes, so it remains to be seen whether they'll go in that irreverent of a direction uh, in Wichita. And uh, also Kannapolis, not relocating, but going to a new stadium. And in conjunction with that, we've talked about this on the podcast before, dropping the Intimidator's name. Uh, which was emotional for some people, uh, given that the Intimidator's name was a uh, reference to Dale Earnhardt, you know, who, who passed away. Uh, but yeah, we'll be seeing Kannapolis, we'll be seeing Fredericksburg, we'll be seeing Wichita, uh, then some non-relocating teams that we know of, uh, Missoula and uh, the Missoula Osprey will be changing their name, and the Connecticut Tigers will be changing their name. And uh, there will probably be more uh, where that came from as, as the offseason progresses. Yeah, we'll, we'll have you back to talk about all of that, especially, as you said, Fredericksburg this weekend, uh, starting next week. But, yeah, rebrand season. It feels like it comes earlier and earlier every year. 
It does. It does. I mean, it just the season barely ends. We hit hit this industry event, attend the Innovator Summit, and then we're talking about rebrandings. And it just one thing leads to the next, to the next, to the next, and the next thing you know, it it's opening day again. Yeah, yeah. And we're talking about these teams actually taking the field. So anyway, all right. Well, we'll talk to you again next week, Ben. And uh, thank you so much for joining us. Sounds good. And you know, when we started talking about all the electrical outlets in this room, and you made your joke uh, a play on the word outlets. I realized what I should have said after you made your joke was, sock it to me. <laughs> I'm being attacked by a five-year-old Australian cattle dog who really wants to go for a walk. So we're going to put the finishing touches on this week's episode of the show before the show. Um, but, uh, yeah, get in touch. Podcast at MILB.com. Sam is on Twitter at Sam Dykstra, MILB. I am a Tyler Mon. And uh, this was fun, Samuel. This was fun. I always enjoy this episode every year. Uh, it's one of my favorites behind the actual prediction part because of – as you guys heard how many times we had to say we were wrong. Um, but, you know, it, it was a good season overall, and I'm glad we got to review it like this. Same. Uh, and that'll do it for this week. We'll talk to you next week. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.